Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another show of Inside the Asperger Studio. Have you ever wondered how to eat healthy while you're on the spectrum? Have you ever wondered if there's a difference between organic foods and regular foods? Have you ever wondered how to deal with food aversions? Well, my next guest, Andrea, who is a dietitian and a nutritionist, we talk about all those things and get all those answers and much, much more. Stay tuned. It's a very long show with a lot of facts and a lot of interesting tidbits. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. Hello and welcome to Inside the Asperger Studios. Today I'm joined with Andrea, who is a nutritionist and a dietitian who also works with those who are on the spectrum. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Hi, thank you for having me today. I'm excited. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll get going. Okay. Uh, well, like you said, I am a, a registered dietitian. Um, I live in the Chicago area, stay by the loop. Uh, and I've been working with children for most of my career here, but also with women. Uh, and I think when it comes to working, uh, one of my biggest passions is always connecting kind of like the mind itself and how we work in our behaviors and connecting that to our eating. So I think personally for me, food has always felt more than just medicine. It's been a way for us to connect. It's been a way for us to kind of explore uh, and learn about each other. And so uh, with my career wise, that's one of the big chunks and one of the big reasons. Uh, I also am, uh, was born in Bolivia. So that being said, I am Latina, I speak Spanish. So a lot of times I'm seeing a lot of my Spanish patients and the like. I love to learn about other cultures and travel and learn more as much as I can. Um, as you may know, different Spanish cultures are very, very different. Uh, so being here in the Chicago region, we, we definitely have a great representation for Central America. So I try to do my best to represent South America with Bolivia, knowing that there's zero restaurants that are Bolivian here in Chicago. Um, but I, I, I don't know. So I don't know what else I could kind of share, but when you, that's a little bit at least. <laughs> All right. How did you decide you wanted to work with those who have ADHD or ASD diet wise? Well, I think um, my first kind of experience with it was internationally um, and some other cultures. It's not like here in the U.S. and some other countries where, you know, a, having any kind of mental condition or disorder to them it might be considered disease or like they'll call it so many different things depending where you're going or they don't have a name for it um and I, I became more interested because I can see there was a struggle and there was an area where there's not many people looking into this and maybe there is more research now but nutritionally I felt like there wasn't much there so that kind of drew my interest just to start off knowing that this is a huge population and I don't see many people involved, but then I thought maybe it's just because I don't know and I'm not researching it. So that that's part of the reason that kind of drew my interest to want to work with this population. Uh, also personally, myself, I, I do have a lot of friends uh, and family members who kind of fall in one or the other uh, spectrum or category. 
Mm-hmm. I, for myself, am. Uh, I do have ADHD, so that kind of also was a starting factor for me, but it didn't really occur to me as much. And to be honest, I spent so much time with people in the spectrum that it just started to become a norm. And then when I saw it on the outside, I'd look like, wait, you explained it this way? This is not how you would probably explain it. And so there was a lot of misinterpret- misinterpretation that I felt like I should I want to work with this population. This this makes the most sense to me. I feel like I can get so much more work done. And it's also a it's also a challenging field because as you may or may not know, research is still growing and there's still things we're trying to learn about this. So it's definitely a field that, you know, we can't just say there's one solution or one answer. So each person is different. I think that's what makes it beautiful because it, it, when it comes to nutrition, it's already individualized. And when you add this category, it's already going to be even more individualized because each person is different, um, if that makes sense. All right. What was the hardest? What is the hardest thing when dealing with someone on the spectrum when it comes to like healthy eating? And because I yeah. know for me, it's hard to like try to eat healthy because you have all these things in front of you. I mean, what? comes to mind when you're dealing with someone who's on the spectrum and you're trying to get them to eat healthy? One thing I will say um, is just the term healthy eating. Let's start there. You know, if I, if I ask you right now, what is healthy eating, you know, and there has to be a definition then by default, right? And Mm -hmm. by default, if there's something that's healthy, there must be something that's what not healthy. And so then that I think is the biggest struggle because I try to promote and understand um, that food is food and, you know, you can eat pizza and that's healthy. You can eat a chocolate bar candy and that's healthy. And I think not just in the, you know, in with ASD and ADHD, but in many, many people and in many different categories and many different backgrounds and cultures, we have a really hard time understanding that because we love our structure sometimes, or maybe there's a, there's a reason why we feel like they can't, like we want it to be a little bit more black and white, but actually, you know, if you ate a lot of salads, you could get sick, but if you ate a Mm -hmm. lot of chocolate um, candy, you can get sick too, right? So candy, chocolate bars, or for salads, it can all technically be categorized as unhealthy too, but also healthy. So I think that's the hardest thing, trying to get us to understand what is like a well-balanced diet or what is a well-balanced eating and trying to get us to understand this kind of healthy at every size approach or this diet-free culture, because um, everyone says that those diet fats touches everyone the same way. I would argue that's not true. Anyone who has ASD or has ADHD or any other related condition uh, may experience this in a more greater intense because we have other things we think of when we think healthy eating and so that becomes hard like just that foundation of understanding what is healthy eating and does that Mm -hmm. actually exist what would be well-balanced eating and then kind of moving forward all right when you when you what do you tell families who have a hard time trying to get their kids to eat properly instead of just gouging on junk food and eating one type of food all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I first like to see, like, you know, figure out why. Sometimes I always ask parents, like, you know, there's there's usually some kind of pattern. And I've worked with a lot of adolescents patients mm-hmm. who have ASC and they'll say, yeah, looking back at it, I feel like I always ate a lot of ice cream. And I don't know if you have 
your experience, if you want to share your experience as a, as a child, but we all have different experiences, but we kind of know why we did it. Like we may know like why I really liked that food item. It was that texture, why I always refused when my mom gave me peas. Like we have some idea. So sometimes I tell parents like, if your child isn't as communicative and can't like straightforwardly say, this is why I like this food item, then try to observe them and see like, is there something we're noticing with texture or color or taste? Is there some pattern you're noticing with their eating? Because that can be the reason why they gravitate towards a certain food, whether that's junk food or if it's like, I can only eat pasta and I can't have anything on there, just pasta, right? Or I can only eat this at the same time. Then we have to figure out what exactly is going on there um, and trying to rule out maybe those things. And then if we know it's a texture thing, then we know, okay, well, there's many ways to cook a vegetable. So maybe we could get them to eat a vegetable. We just have to make sure it's cooked a certain way. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. I mean, that also leads to my next question, which is how do you deal with those who have food aversions? Like ah. either texture or taste. I mean, because I have an I had an old neighbor whose daughter has a mm -hmm. son who used to only eat chicken McNuggets because just it was the only thing he liked because of the texture. He wouldn't touch anything else. Mm -hmm. And so again, if you know it's the texture, then you would want to play around with the different foods that have that texture. And the great thing about now in our society with the food science and all these creations with all these different types from like having grapes taste like cotton candy is that you might be able to find, you know, a chicken nugget or that, that texture of a chicken nugget and find a vegetable that has that uh, texture in it, whether that's like mushrooms that you're bread crusting it around and then sauteing it. So it may go back to thinking about that pattern. It may also mean slowly introducing something and being open about it. You know, a lot of times we do the thing where we want to hide the food, but I would say most kids, just like many adults, and regardless of your condition, you're gonna, you're smart. You know what's going on. You know that you know what your mom's hiding, right? Like, or you know what your parents hiding, or the caregiver, you know what they're hiding. So it's it's helpful to also be really opened. Um, and depending on where you lie on the spectrum, um, it may also be helpful to see like maybe for you particularly or for the neighbor, right? Like you might, it might be helpful to explain depending on how old they are. Maybe sometimes it helps to explain because sometimes if you have explanation, that might be helpful. Similar to like, um, I have a lot of patients who fall on the spectrum and they are adults. And when they go to the doctor, it's not that they're against it. They just want that open communication. Like, tell me this, I need to know step-by-step. Step. Like, I like to know these procedures. This helps me feel comfortable. So it's also, how can I make that environment where food is at its most comfortable space so that that child can now feel like, okay, I feel comfortable enough to eat this because I now feel like my environment is good and I'm getting that support um then if there's still issues obviously i would consult with an rd because each person is very different mm -hmm. um, and there might be something particular going on or maybe there is an allergy and we don't know it or maybe there's something else going on and we're like oh that's why they're not handling that um, and so that can help us understand why they might be gravitating so maybe they're low in iron or vitamin d and that's very common actually here in chicago for any kid to be low on iron and it would be not the first time I've had a patient who falls in the spectrum who's low in iron as a child so a lot of times I do want those labs and want them to the doctor to just rule out a common medical stuff just to make sure that's not the reason why they may be quote unquote like a pick eater 
All right. Um, why is it important to eat healthy for those who are on the spectrum? For, for I think it's important for someone on the spectrum to eat well-balanced meals because just like anyone, we're growing, right? So, and whether you're a child or you're an adult, you need a certain amount of protein, you need those nutrients. And a lot of times, a lot of that research has shown, you know, there's, there's still growing research, but there's some research on there that we're starting to see like, wow, the benefits of having omega-3 on, on us, like this is really helping us. You know, the, the, for ADHD, for example, you know, it's very common for us to skip meals because if we're very hyper-focused or if we lost track of time, but mm. I would argue on the spectrum, it could be the same way. Maybe it's the idea of like the utensils, right? Or even like the food items or the idea of, oh, well, if it's lunchtime, I'm going to have to get around people. Maybe it's the people. So um, having a well-balanced meal allows you not to just get the nutrition you need, but a lot of times it promotes you to connect with the outside world in one way or another, because food is also more than medicine. As I talked about before, it's a way for us to connect and learn about ourselves. Um, you know, not everyone's going to have the same taste buds. Not everyone's going to have the same background or feelings that are connected with the food. And just like you may gravitate towards uh, one dish and that might remind you of childhood, I might have a different dish that reminds me of my childhood. So it's also very important because it connects us on those social skills that sometimes we may be lacking or we don't realize that we're actually improving in them. And we could take that baby step like by improving it even more through food. And we don't even realize it, but it is happening because we think like, well, it's just food. I'm just filling up my nutrition. That's all it is. Food is just food. And I'm like, yes, but did you realize that you took a bite and you had an experience, even if it was with yourself, like that is still some social skills in there. You are still learning something about yourself. And then to be able to share that with somebody else or share a meal would be even a further step. So I do think that's why it's helpful because it doesn't just help our overall physical health health but it also helps our overall mental health all right um what foods are helpful for a healthy mind such as helping with concentration what foods are okay uh some foods that are helpful for a healthy mind uh that can also help with concentration so if there's some research on there for omega-3 omega-6 foods so sometimes we're thinking of our nuts or fish uh, we also have now uh one of the common things i've seen they sell them in many stores now originally i think they've only sold them at like whole foods trader joe's but now i see them more and more like even at a myers uh they do have like those uh, like an omega-3 kind of supplement that tastes like pie different flavors and so that's mm -hmm. an easy way to put it on and get your nutrients in uh a lot of times it's important to make sure you're getting an adequate amount of protein and calories in because if you're not getting that in you know, you're not going to get that concentration your body's going to be focused on, it's going to think it's in starvation and you're not going to be able to focus wise. So I would say number one, it's making sure are you just eating. Number two is making sure you're having an adequate balanced amount of your macro and micronutrients, but your macronutrients would be like your carbs, your protein, your fat, right? We want to make sure we got that settled. And uh, depending on the on you, it's very individualized. Everyone on the spectrum is very different. And also with ADHD, um, sometimes we gravitate more towards carbs or more to fats. So we might notice an uneven distribution. And it's okay if it's not super even, but we do need to have a little bit of everything. So that would be the next step. And if we're thinking about something in particular, a lot of research does hit more towards that uh, omega-3, omega-6, but there's more research being done right now. And so there's some that currently is looking at even vitamin D and how that plays a role. So definitely something to always, you know, continue to look into, right? All right. 
what foods are good for energy? Uh, similarly, you want to make sure you're getting enough protein and calories. If your body, if if your body doesn't have enough calories in it's, and a lot of carbs, it's going to take the protein that you took and it's going to use that for energy because it needs that so we need to make sure you're eating it just adequately enough if you have a certain amount of carbs in you that's good too a lot of people are afraid of carbs um, but i would also argue sometimes in the spectrum we may gravitate more towards that everyone's a little different um, and so it's just making sure you have an adequate amount of all again those three just your fats your protein um your fats your protein your carbs but once you have a good distribution, you're going to have enough energy. And after that, it's making sure you're not low in iron. That can be a very common thing I've seen. Uh, and here in Chicago, vitamin D tends to be low. And I've seen that affect some people with their energy, but that gives or take. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can vouch for that with vitamin D because mm -hmm. my doctor had put me on um, vitamin D3 and I've mm. been taking that constantly almost every day because last time i went for him for a physical he had told me that my vitamin d levels are low and he would like to see me get them up higher mm -hmm. and did you notice a difference since taking it maybe in energy wise and just mm -hmm. a little bit more i mean but yeah i mean i'm slowly it's slowly getting higher and higher that's good. Yeah. And sometimes it does take a while for us to see it. Um, I've heard other people say they feel like they just feel a little bit better, like as far as I'm not as down or as sad, yeah. but not necessarily like, yes, I have all this energy, like <laughs> just not like that. <laughs> so, and I'm always like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I, I wouldn't expect you to be ready to run a marathon either. Would you, when it comes to vitamin D, what, would you suggest chewables or would you suggest gummies? What you what in your mind would be better for someone to take vitamin D? Um, either or is fine. I've had also some people like the liquid one because they're they're already taking other medications and supplements and like, oh, I don't want to take another pill. And so they'll say, you know, and, and the gummies uh, in many stores now are also more expensive. So sometimes cost wise, they're like, I don't want that one or they don't want they don't like the texture. It also depends mm -hmm. on that. So sometimes people do the liquid. I've seen that more happen uh, when it's when it comes to just the idea of like, I'm sick and tired of pills. I don't want to take any more, but I know I have to. So is there any other option? Then usually gummies becomes the next option because it's a different texture and everything. Some people don't like the taste and they're like, it confuses me because I keep thinking I'm going to eat something that's candy and then it has a weird taste. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. Uh, and so there is a liquid form as well. Usually you can tell your doctor like, hey, um, well, how how low is my vitamin D? Because sometimes if your vitamin D is too low, you may need a higher dose concentration. A lot of times they will already give you the, the tablet version and then that's the one you get. And as long as you're okay with that, that may be the better choice because it might be harder to find that in the gummy version. So it's always important to ask your doctor, how low mm -hmm. is it? What are you recommending me to get? Yeah, because I've gone between the regular pills to the gummies to mm -hmm. chewable tablets back to gummies mm -hmm. and did you find the gummies better for you gummies were the difference was with gummies i have to take two with the tablet all i had the chewable tablet i had to take one mm. yeah i i've had other people do the gummies and they'll throw other actual gummies like the candy gummies in there mix it up so that it feels like i'm just eating this as a dessert a snack uh and 
that becomes helpful because they, you know, you do take more when you have to do the gummies. That's true. Yeah. Um, what would, what kind of superfoods would you recommend for those who are on the spectrum? Um, well, superfoods are tough because superfoods was like a term that was just kind of created. And a lot of times I'm like superfoods. Okay. Uh, well, what do you consider superfood? Because I feel like a lot of people have different definitions of that. Um, so a lot of times I tell people that every food item has a benefit, believe it or not, even potato and rice does. I feel like we always are kind of hitting on like don't eat so much rice, don't eat so much potato, but potato's good. So is rice. We all, they all have their benefits. It's just a matter of like, what are you lacking in, right? So mm. for instance, if your doctor told you you were low on vitamin D, then by default, maybe your superfood uh, would be foods that have vitamin D in it, right? And so maybe mm-hmm. if you are okay with dairy, then you would do dairy. But if you were like lactose intolerant, maybe milk is not necessarily your best friend, even if it has vitamin D. So you might have to look at something else and think like, maybe I need to eat like a fatty fish, uh, like salmon or even um, tuna, or I'm thinking like soy milk even, or even like eggs and think like, maybe I have to eat this to get my vitamin D. So that would by default become your version of your superfood. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times blueberries were, are, is a common thing I receive for everyone in the marketing world. And I see it, uh, recommended a lot with the research that's going on. A lot of it's because of the antioxidants. Sometimes I try really hard to encourage, like in that case, try to eat the rainbow. Um, it came back, that concept came from me growing up. And I never, and then when I traveled uh, back to Bolivia, I found how a lot of parents were doing that. And there was an actual hospital clinic where they did have different people from different spectrums, but also like just different conditions. So they were very, it was a the clinic with very neurodiverse population mm-hmm. at different ages. And their promotion of how to deal with food was just eat the rainbow and work your way up. And if you can't handle red foods yet, don't worry, you'll get there. And that will become your superfood soon. And that became the best source and the best way for them to get the most energy. And it became also a great way in a way to like trick them to eat vegetables or fruits because you start to feel like, oh, I really want to get there. I want to be able to eventually eat the rainbow. So, and a lot of foods that have color are what? Like vegetables and fruits usually. So that becomes the easiest way to kind of start to promote fruits and vegetables. And coming back to the U.S., I started to do more research and realized there, there, there's something to this. There's an actual there's an actual physiology kind of approach that this can actually work. This kind of approach on how to counsel and diet can, can really work. And I, I started to look at this way more for people, particularly in the spectrum, because we struggle a lot sometimes even with just vegetables, or we struggle a lot usually with a certain food group or, or a certain texture that I realized this can be a, an approach that we can further do. All right. What kind of tricks do you have for parents who are trying to get their kids to eat vegetables? Yeah, it definitely depends on the age um, and it depends on, you know, the child. So sometimes I've had children where I literally just sat down with them with their parents and we just talked to them about the food benefits and we talked about, you know, where the food came from and that worked. With the group population uh, during my fellowship, what we also did was we actually just had them grow it. The process of growing the vegetable itself, the gardening. There's usually there's research on this done with just children in general, not like considering uh, their background on their mental health or their medical behaviors. Just really thinking about the idea of a child who's just a pick eater. 
And I took that concept and was like, let's see if we can apply this with a population that is only people who are in the spectrum and how does gardening help? And in Chicago, we do have organizations, you know, um, that do this. And so the idea is the gardening really, really did promote uh, an easy way that you're not necessarily even having to trick your kids anymore. They're in this open area learning about the food and they're able to grow it. And the idea of just growing it and learning about it and interacting with people at their pace made it easy for them to eat mm-hmm. vegetables. So that's like the second big one that I found that is the best. But as a parent, if you can't get your kids to garden and you know that if you talk to them and you were very open, it's not going to work. Maybe they're not as communicative or maybe uh, there's something else going on. Then it may be helpful to think about different recipes. Sometimes uh, there are different sauces where you can mix your vegetables in and puree it. Uh, for example, you can take a lot of your fall vegetables, like the ratatouille dish, if you're familiar with, take your like, you know, mm-hmm. your squash, you know, uh, your eggs, plan you can chop those all up put them in the oven roast that maybe at like around uh 450 for about depending if your oven works high maybe about 10 to 15 minutes take that out let it cool down a little bit and then put it in a food processor or blender that will blend in you just got a whole amount of good fiber in there a good vitamin a source vitamin c you got a good source of that all in there that becomes like a dip but if you add a little bit of water to it you can make it to sauce and then add the protein in there um, and that might be an easy way to get them to eat it now the goal is eventually is try to be as, as open as possible with a child so they recognize that they just ate a vegetable and they liked it so that the next time you give it to them that it's not puree or it's not cooked in a certain way they'll be more willing to try it on their own because they are familiar with it right those are just a few yeah how do you deal with those who won't eat vegetables or anything green because i've seen i've known my nephew's has a friend who Mm -hmm. she won't touch anything green at all and mm-hmm. I've known people who just won't eat vegetables or won't even like drink anything warm. How do you deal with people like that who just won't or are afraid of change? Yeah, well, I would start with a lot of us are afraid of change. Think about COVID-19. I don't know. We didn't talk about that in the segment, but COVID-19 affects a lot of people. So change in general, we know it's really hard. If you just plain out or like, I can't eat anything that's green like the example you gave me, right? At first mm-hmm. we need to we need to hit our basis. So, you know, we may that person may already be taking a multivitamin or something, a supplement to ensure they get their basics in. Perfect. At least now nutritionally we know that there's a there's a lower chance so there's a decreased opportunity for them to become malnourished because we're giving them that supplement. So check. Then it becomes like let's slowly work on why green is hard and like slowly work on this. Maybe they will need like a feeding therapy or we're, we're going to have a support group, right? So one big mm-hmm. thing part for me is that we, when it comes to that kind of situation, we do need more than just the dietitian and the parents involved. This is like an interprofessional kind of collaboration of professions coming together saying, I'm going to do something. We're all going to take a role on this. So maybe the child or the parents are also seeing a therapist or are going to a clinic or kind of checking in and working step by step. There are different programs out there 
Mm-hmm. If you can't afford those are unfamiliar, obviously ask your doctor and see a lot of times there are ways and financial ways to get approved. If you're unfamiliar, it's very helpful to let your doctor know, like my child is simply just not eating green, period green. And then that may give us an alert to something. Sometimes things take time. You are an adult now. I wonder, I would ask you, like, I'm sure there's a food item as a kid you never had or you didn't eat and now you do eat, right? Um, so- broccoli, uh, asparagus. Yeah, Mm because when I was younger, there were a lot of vegetables I wouldn't touch. And my parents were all like, come on, they're not going to hurt you. And then as Mm -hmm. I get older, I try them and I realize there's nothing wrong with them. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like tomatoes are a big one with me. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. eat a tomato unless it's, I still won't eat a raw tomato, but I'll eat it stewed or Mm -hmm. I'll eat it mixed with something. Mm-hmm. And did it help you when your parents would say, like, there's nothing wrong with it, just eat it, it's okay? It didn't help, but it it kind of reassured me in my mind that maybe I should try it. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and then I did, and I realized either I didn't like it because of its taste, or I just, or I did like it because it, it tasted okay. Exactly. And so, and I think that's why we want to take that step further. I love when parents reassure their kids, like, that this is a good food look, but then we also want to make sure there's no, like, pressure, and then we're allowing you to eat it. Similarly to an infant, sometimes when they're just not hungry, I'll just say, like, okay, just leave the child with a bunch of food. Eventually, that baby's going to be hungry, and they're going to gravitate, and they're going to realize this is the only food I have. I'm going to just have to grab it and eat it. As an adult, we may be the same way. If you're truly, truly hungry and you're in starvation mode and someone finally gives you the food, you may not think twice and you may just eat mm-hmm. it. Now, we're not all usually in that starvation mode. So I wouldn't encourage your your parents to like starve you to feel like now you've got to eat this. But it may be helpful to reassure, right, to reassure you. But then also to take that stuff further and figure out like, why is green not good for you like did you read somewhere that something about green foods are not great or tomatoes let's say why is tomato right like figuring out is this a texture thing is this something that you just don't like how it squirts the juice like figuring that portion out is usually what I try to do with the parent Mm -hmm. and then trying to find a middle ground because like apples and tomatoes there's different colors so if you didn't like the green I would be like let's try a different color and then you can at least know how it'll taste you know and then you'll be like look this is literally the only difference is the color but you notice how the taste the squishing is everything is the same so sometimes it helps for them to play with it again it always depends unfortunately it's hard to give you one answer because we're all different and I think that's also a stereotype that people think like oh you're autistic so then I know someone who's autistic and I don't know if you ever experienced this and they assume they must know you so well but really you may have ADHD, you may be, a, you may have ASD, right? You may be on the spectrum, but you may be a hundred percent different. Even if your siblings also had it, you mm-hmm. may be a hundred percent different and have a whole different experience. So it really, it's hard to give one answer because it really means having to learn who you are and how you eat. All right. What is your philosophies on smoothies and throwing things like kale and anything healthy into it is it are you for it are you against it is it good Mm -hmm. i think it has its 
it's moments, I will say. I don't think it's something we want someone to get used to because think about it this way. If you never liked tomatoes and I always just blended tomatoes in and you've been eating tomatoes your whole life and you didn't even know it and you're still like fearful or unwanting or it's not a desirable to eat tomatoes. Well, then what was the point of the smoothie? Great, you got the nutrients in, but I could have given you a multivitamin for that but you're still not wanting to eat regular tomatoes because you're not being shown what's there. So I feel like in that sense, sometimes it can give a little bit of harm when people are like, let me just give shakes. and like, let's just, let's just, let's just give shakes and shakes. And that's fine. We'll give the supplements and shakes, supplements and shakes. Now the kid is growing and growing, but they're never really discovering food for what it is. And so you're mm-hmm. losing a little bit of that touch. Think about how many people are on diets um, as an adult or not adult, and they're not eating real food. And so there is something there is something different about actually biting the food and yeah. chewing it, right? There, that, that experience is now lost if you're just solely saying, I'm going to only do shakes and smoothies. But that doesn't mean you can't. I, I personally love smoothies, so once in a while, I wouldn't mind having one. If I'm in a rush, sometimes it can be helpful. I don't want to make that a habit because I want myself to get used to re-eating it. And sometimes I'll talk to people um, and I'll say, okay, I get you love smoothies, but if I gave you a cheeseburger right now, are you going to put that in a smoothie and then drink it? And then they'll look at me like, no, I, I wouldn't want to do that. That's going to taste bad. I'm like, yeah, but that's kind of what you keep doing for all your meals and you're not experiencing it no more. So, and they're like, yeah, you're right. So then I'll ask, why are you doing that? And sometimes I find out because I never actually ate a kale on its own before. So I always just dump it in the smoothie and I'm like, okay. So then we see how there's a little bit of that connection so it's good or bad. It has its moments, I would say. All right. And finally, would you say that eating healthy and smart can attribute to better sleep? So I would say, yes, eating a well-balanced meal. Uh, I, I try to stay away a little bit of the term healthy. I want you to be healthy, right? I want you to physically feel healthy and, and mentally feel healthy, but healthy foods is kind of like saying superfoods or, or bad foods. And I want you to be able to eat Doritos or your chips or whatever and feel happy about it. However, I want you to have a well-balanced meal. So if you have a well-balanced meal, it does attribute to better sleep. I know many people um, wake up in the morning and they're not hungry. And then I think about, well, when's last you ate? So it sounds like you went through kind of a starvation mode. You went more than just eight hours of no eating. So maybe that's why your body was also tossing and turning. You woke up a little bit early. You don't know. Uh, or maybe you ate too much and then you went to bed and you woke up. I know a lot of uh, people on the spectrum who are in their mid-20s um, and even late 20s. And now I even see in the 30s and even a little bit younger now too. And they're getting that acid reflux because mm. they don't eat a lot throughout the day. And then towards the evening, they're finally hungry and then they eat and then they may even eat too much. And then they go straight to bed after an hour. And then they wake up feeling a little like, oh, like I don't feel that great. Like my morning's always not the best. I'm not pooping that well no more. Like it's just hard. And as soon as we start to regulate that, as soon as our bowels are better, as soon as or pooping for better words, or <laughs> as soon as we start to get our meals a little bit better, then we start to notice wow i actually feel like i'm sleeping better i'm thinking more clear 
And I'm like, well, yeah, you're pooping better. And they're like, no, no, I'm serious. I poop like really good. I'm like, yes, because you're starting to have a more regulated eating. Uh, and so now your body's finally able to say, oh, thanks, Andrea. You finally gave me some break, right? Like my own stomach is telling me like, Kylie, you fed me. And we're not just eating all our meals towards the evening, right? Because that can easily happen. And and to any adult, it can happen. I know a lot of people who are not on the spectrum and don't have ADHD or they don't have uh, any bipolar depression or anxiety that they've been diagnosed with, and yet they still experience this. But within the spectrum world, I see this happen so much because I think there's a common theme there that we're not touching. All right. Um, when is the cutoff point when you should stop eating at night? Is there a, what time would you recommend you say you stop eating? I don't think there's a time technically. And I know um, even in my household growing up, they would have their own version of try to not eat after 10 or after eight if you're going to bed. Um, and I would also argue if you are a late owl, I know people in the spectrum who stay up to like one, two in the morning, but I also know others that are like, nope, that's not me. I'm right when it's eight o'clock, I'm getting ready to go to bed. I got my hours I and they have a structure. They know exactly when they're going to bed. I don't know where you fall in line with that. Uh, so my structure, my sleep time kind of varies, but it's around 10 o'clock. Yeah. And so then it's important to think, okay, well, if I eating right at 945 or 930, I'm eating this huge meal. That's not a lot of time for my stomach to kind of digest that even a little bit before I go to bed. So the high likelihood of me waking up and not feeling good would be more now. Granted, for some people, it takes a couple of years before that hits in. So you form that habit, you form that habit, you're still eating a certain time you go to bed. After a few years, all of a sudden, you got all this acid reflux in the morning or you're not feeling that great because you ate too close and now your body's more sensitive. We noticed the acid went a little bit up. We, we end up getting going to the doctor. They tell us we have GERD or acid reflux or something. Um, they give us some supplements or some medication to help with the acid, but we're still doing the same habits. So we're still doing the same thing. Um, so it, it is important. There's no cutoff time, but it's important to think, what is your schedule like? You mm -hmm. know, if you're going to bed at 3 a.m., then I wouldn't tell you to not eat past 8. I would say you could eat past 8, right? Because I know 8 tends to be the number people tell me. But if you're going to bed at 8, then I wouldn't want you to be eating at 7.30 or something, right? Or even at 7, that might be too much. It also depends how much you're eating, right? If you grab me a handful of nuts, that is very different than you saying, hey, I ordered this the pizza and I also got some soda because I always love my soda with my pizza. Well, that's very different too. Um, same with like if you even had just a handful of chips. So it depends what you are eating. It depends on your schedule to decide what the cutoff time is. And it also depends, do you have a pre another uh, pre-existing or existing condition, uh, such as like the acid reflux is the one I'm using right now, just because recently I've seen that way more. Uh, those people waking up and having issues with their stomachs or just generally having GI issues. And that's been affecting their sleep a lot and just their overall day with their concentration. And once we kind of regulate that, it also helps us. Um, and that kind of gets away from that guilt and shame of then wanting to eat late. Because I know when I was in school, I'd eat a big dinner, say around 10, and then about 12 o'clock, all of a sudden I get hit with hunger pains and mm -hmm. not understand why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and it, it could it could depend on what you ate. It also could depend how fast 
evacuate mm-hmm. uh, over over time I've started to realize I, I, and I, I, can, I fall in this category we we eat fast you know uh, I, I remember being with my family and realizing I feel like I'm eating normal then I traveled and I was like the first one done and I was like wow I eat really fast I need to start slowing down and I realized um, I thought it was taking me like an hour to eat my meal. It turns out it was only like 20, 30 minutes. And I realized because I used to work so much, sometimes I only had a 15 minute break and I needed my meals or I could get a headache or feel sick or I wouldn't be able to concentrate. So I got used to being able to eat a, I got a point where I was able to eat a meal in like maybe less than 15 minutes. That's not good. And then after a while I'd get like a stomach ache and I'd be like, oh, not feeling that well and I'm like I'm so confused why because I ate I did everything I was supposed to do right like our checklist that we have um mm-hmm. a lot of times at least I have that um and and then and it's again it's how fast did you eat what did you eat and sometimes we don't realize but maybe we are lactose intolerant or maybe we can't handle certain fruits or certain food items and we keep eating it and eating and eating it and so we keep getting sick and sick and we can't tell what it is, but it's because we're also not taking the time and stepping back and saying, what did I just eat? There's obviously a common pattern. And I will argue that many times once we're like, uh, I would say in our college years or a little bit older, we already kind of know our own pattern of eating. We kind of have certain foods we already buy. We already know kind of our grocery list of foods mm-hmm. and so then it might be easy to take a step back and see what are these what foods on here are causing me some kind of pain making the doctor's appointment being i always get this pain when i eat this yeah i mean that's funny you mentioned lactose intolerant i never knew i was until later on in life mm-hmm. like around now because all of a sudden certain things began to affect me more and more and we mm-hmm. couldn't figure out why I was always constantly going to the washroom. And I had went to my G- my GI doctor and talked with her nurse. And she's like, I'm like, this is happening. I wind- Sometimes I wind up with a sour stomach. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay. She's like, the test for lactose intolerance is expensive, but here's what we're going to do. I want you to eliminate dairy from your diet. Mm. And then we'll see from there. Uh, My question to you is, how do you deal with someone on the spectrum or off the spectrum who's lactose intolerant and can't eat anything dairy? What do you suggest to them? Well, first I want to make sure, are they lactose intolerant? That's not me not trusting the patients. Just sometimes we've done it on our own. I, uh, I feel like everyone tends to be very smart because and then the spectrum i feel like a lot of people like they know their their selves really well and if mm-hmm. you're not on the spectrum a lot of times for you to come to me and tell me you already know what's wrong with you i know you did some research you did something to to reflect to know something's going on so i want to know how, how do you know this did the doctor tell you did you get tested did you do your own kind of elimination kind of diet and figured it out so that would be step number one mm-hmm. if you never got tested then that would be our step number two let's get you tested to confirm that's the only thing because i've had instances where people thought they were lactose intolerant we got the test done and we found out you actually had a full-blown um, allergy like or a very high intolerance or there was something else that you were intolerant to so yes you were lactose intolerant but hey did you notice that you also had this and this and then they're like no i didn't know that and i'm like yeah now we know so that's number one and my number two step and then really 
it's figuring out taking it step by step and figuring out what you're eating like and mm-hmm. i want to know how much this is going to affect your life some people are like i this is going to be hard for me i'll tell you because i i do dairy all day and i'm like really yeah. And they're like yeah that's like my main food my snacks are cheese my my breakfast is milk with cereal my lunch i usually always have some kind of dairy in there and dinner too so i don't know what i'm going to eat now so i need to figure out how much dairy you tend to eat in general yeah. like what foods do you tend, tend to eat that have lactose to find out how it's going to affect you and then finding out how can we adjust your eating so it's still foods you like so you're still meeting your needs, right? So you're still getting an adequate amount of calcium and vitamin D and also that you're feeling okay with it. Because if I know you don't like orange juice, well, then I'm not going to tell you go buy orange juice uh, that's fortified with calcium or vitamin D. But if I know you love orange juice and I'd say, hey, let's buy some orange juice, buy, go to Jewel or go to your grocery store, find the orange juice that has fortified calcium and vitamin D in it. So that you're still getting that like the nutrition in it and you're still having something you like and so i'm not forcing you to eat something or drink something you don't like so it really is trying to adjust and figuring out how are we going to make this sustain you and that's going to be different for everyone because everyone has different preferences for foods all right um what is your feeling about dieting in general um they're tiny in general i do feel like oh that this is very common there's different versions of dieting there's dieting that i want to lose weight there's the dieting that like oh my doctor told me you know i'm pre-diabetic and i need to start eating less carbs or i'm going to become diabetic and i'm like okay you are in a different type of diet then but if you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to become healthier uh, mm-hmm. i think that's also a common one i hear yeah like um like I'm on this diet because I told it was healthy for me. So I'm on this whole 30. I, I heard that one in the spectrum yeah, heard, a lot. Yeah. I've heard about the whole 30 diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I looked into it. What is your opinion on that? Uh, most diets, uh, they have some good in it. And I will argue on that to give them the benefit of the doubt, but they're usually not sustainable. So think about all the diets you heard about. They're not usually sustainable long-term. So even if you lost weight or even if you felt better or even if you had temporarily high energy, right, or even if all of a sudden you did have a good poop or whatever the reason for your your dieting occurred, you need to ask yourself, is this sustainable for me? Like the the original keto diet, right? Like if you're doing Mm -hmm. it on that, that's not sustainable. You're like eating so much, right? But if you're also, I've seen so many diets out there, you really need to ask yourself like, would I recommend this? Would I eat this way for like 20 years? Would I eat this for 10 years? Right. If you're not going to, a lot of things that happens is yes, you may temporarily get those benefits, may get them. A lot of people don't even get those benefits, whatever that mm-hmm. whatever that whatever that is, whether that's losing weight or um getting more energy or just overall being healthier, which that's a huge thing to ask out of a diet. Um you if you don't get those or you do get those benefits they usually don't last long for weight loss particularly a lot of times people gain all that weight back and more so it's not sustainable and i i don't care if you're autistic or not or if you're in the spectrum or not there i i know a lot of people who have body image issues and so the diet industry definitely does doesn't 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 look at oh this person's autistic i know they're not going to fall for it they they will they will target everyone everyone because they want everyone to go on this diet they want everyone to go in and a lot of times also it might require you to buy supplements right like um there are certain companies and diets that will Mm -hmm. say 
to do this diet, you need to buy this, you need to buy that. Then I would argue like, okay, fine, but do you really want to be buying this powdered food and eating this for the rest of your life? If so, maybe if this is a, if this realistically is a sustainable diet for you and you truly feel like you can do it long-term, then the next question is though, is it going to be good for your overall health long-term, yeah. right? I mean, because, and that might not be it. Yeah, because yeah. I know my mom and I, right when COVID had started, we were talking about dieting and the Mediterranean diet to start to feel better because we know we've been eating a lot of junk food and we figured maybe mm-hmm. if we cut a lot of sugars and crap out of our diet, we'll start feeling better in general. So that's why I'm, I'm just curious about dieting in general. Is it really worth it in the long run? In the long run, most of them I will argue are no. The two that are like the most research is the med diet that you talked about. Um, and that one is the most research. You can see that in standard hospitals. I talk about that with many of my patients. So that one is a more sustainable diet compared to all the other ones on the market. Um, the, and the, the second one that's also talked about that is seen in research is this plant-based eating form. Yeah. Plant-based eating by default does not mean vegan, right? It does not mean you're vegan, but that's the other most researched diet that we have up to date. Now, obviously, in our integrative world and just in general, there are diets and other stuff that are exploring and it's hard because sometimes it goes back to funding. Who's funding this? Who's responsible for this? Is there a football player behind this? Is there a science industry behind this? Is the blueberry company doing a research study showing that blueberries are good for you? Well, is the chocolate company doing a, a study that chocolate is good for you, right? So sometimes these diets, you do have to dig a little bit further and find out where are they getting their like their information from? That might not make it sustainable. Yeah. So the med diet that you talked about, you and your mom were on a good path for that diet. And that's why a lot of times mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they call it the, the med lifestyle. Because or the it also dash include, diet, yeah. Yeah, and the dash diet is more of a, and for all the listeners here, it is more, more on the medical end, right? Just like the diabetic diet, right? If you're diabetic by default, you're going to have to be on a diabetic diet if you're diabetic. But if you're not diabetic, I would ask you, why are you doing that to yourself? Why are you purposely trying to restrict yourself if you're not, if you were told that you don't have to, right? Yeah, I think, I think I read that the DASH diet was started by a doctor here at Rush, at Rush University. Uh, here in Chicago, we have a lot, and I, I know of a friend who also did a program with the food pantries. The DASH diet, believe it or not, here in Chicago, we do have we do have a lot of people that eat a lot of salt, and our blood pressure is really high. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of people who are also depressed by the salt. We have, you know, um, drug usage is really high. We have a lot of things here in Chicago, but I would also argue it's because we're so populated. We have so many things going on, um, and so... If you're trying to follow, for all the listeners here, if you are trying to follow an actual medical diet, so like the DASH diet that you talked about, anything you know like that, it's good to ask your doctor because you need to ask to find out, is this, is this something I want to do? And then if you're still unsure and if they say yes, then say, is it possible that I can't see a registered dietitian? Sometimes your doctor can just give you that referral. You, you don't even know it. And you probably have full coverage to see an RD. And then you could be like, wow, okay, I'm going to do this in a sustainable way. Because you may have noticed even the med lifestyle, the material lifestyle can even be challenging if you just 
all of a sudden go a hundred percent in, right? It's mm-hmm. this aspect of all or nothing. Like, okay, we're going to be healthy, mom, we got this. Okay, let's start. And then we remove everything. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is so hard. I missed A, B, and C. It's because you weren't doing it in, a, in your version of you slowly going into that. So is exercising good for you? Yes. Is eating for more fruits and vegetables good for you? Yes. Uh, do a lot of these fad diets have them? Yes. But they also have other things that may be unrealistic. So you have to think about what is realistic for you and mm-hmm. think what medical conditions do I have? And then ask yourself, is it sustainable? And then ask a healthcare professional if they know anything about this diet to make sure that does have evidence-based research then or anything that at least has been researched to show it's good for you in particular. And that would be the big thing to kind of announce because like the keto diet, it's not sustainable for a lot of people, but there are kids out there who get a lot of seizures and that keto diet did do a lot of miracles for them. It all mm-hmm. depends on you. And that's why it's important. Uh- Did I lose you? Hard sometimes. It really is hard. Anyways. I, I, you, you froze on me, but it's okay. Anyways, last question. What is yeah. your feeling on the plant, plant-based products and foods? The plant-based products, plant-based, like the, like those chicken nuggets that are not chicken nuggets. Like those. Yeah. Soy, soy products, soy cheese and all that new stuff you start seeing nowadays. Cause I've seen mm. a lot of that in the grocery stores now. Like you walk into Jewel and there's a whole section just on plant-based foods. Yeah. Well, uh, for all, I guess as a disclosure, I used to be vegan for, you know, more than a year. So a good amount, like, I definitely, I didn't hit my two-year mark for other reasons. And I will say that when I did it, I had the all or or nothing mindset. So I was like, Monday, I'm going to become vegan. And and I did. I feel like that was one of the few times the all or nothing did work for me. Uh, But there was a point, and I was in college, that I was hungry. I was late. I was coding. When you code and you're on the computer, you lose track of time. Uh, It was there was sun outside when I started and when I came out, it was pitch black and I was hungry and I couldn't find anything to eat. And Jewel is right by Dominican University. So is Menards. Um, there's like McDonald's. So I knew my choices were limited. I realized Menards is closing soon. I realized I can go to McDonald's. Maybe what can I get from McDonald's as a vegan? But I thought, wow, my choices are very limited there. I guess I can get fries, question mark. That was what I, or I can go to Jewel and Jewel had like their plant-based stuff. So and I was like, okay, I guess I can get these frozen things and cook them. So just, and like, it helped. So have I had them before? Yes. And was it helpful for me at, at some points? Yes. But a lot of times, and even now there's so many varieties, but I would encourage everyone to look at those ingredient lists and see what's in it. And then ask yourself, if you're not actually vegan or for whatever reason, you're not purposely trying to, like you need to avoid meat or something like, and you love chicken or you love, at stake, then ask yourself, why exactly are you trying to avoid it and trying to go for this plant-based? Are you trying to just try it for fun? Then great, because I applaud you because trying to try anything that's new and making changes to life is hard. Okay, fine, try it. Uh, when when they had grapes that came out that tasted like cotton candy, mm-hmm. I thought that was weird. And I thought like, what? Why can't we just eat grapes, guys? Why are we yeah. creating all these new products? But I tried it because I was like, I kind of want to try it. 
And I always have a rule that if any of my patients say they like a food item or something, I always try it. And with, with all these plant-based stuff, it's great that our, you know, our food science companies and food scientists are really creating all these new products because it can help a lot of people who are limited and aren't able to eat certain foods. But if you don't have to ask yourself, why are you doing it? Maybe just get the chicken nuggets because it mm-hmm. might be what you actually want. If this is about animal rights, which I'm a big animal rights activist, so I understand that side, then ask yourself which brand or which company you want to support and maybe find that chicken, even if you have to pay more, that's more sustainable then uh, because and then do that route. So then if you really want to be like, no, I truly don't want to eat any animal, like I, then fine, then find a plant-based product and see if you can get one that is more natural because a lot of these new ones that are coming out, they do have a lot of preservatives, a lot of chemicals in there that I'm like, I'm sorry, what am I eating? I'm like, I can't tell what I'm eating. I'm like, I just know this kind of tastes like chicken, but I don't, I, I don't even know half these ingredient things on the list. And I ask people like, how, how long is that ingredient list? Do you know the, fi- the first five things on that ingredient list? If you know them and you can pronounce them, then fine, try it. Maybe that's worth it. But if you have no idea what they are, you can let alone pronounce it. That's a red flag. And you might have to consider like, okay, fine. If the world wants to do this, just like there's fad diets out there, there are fad foods out there. I mean, that kind of reminds me of if you were, have you ever been into the Museum of Science and Industry? Yes. Yes. Have you gone to the second floor where you have a guy on the television screen and he's listing off all these ingredients? And at the end, he goes, what we have here is a lemon meringue pie. No lemon, no meringue, all chemicals. No, I haven't. Seen, I, I'll have to. Is this, is this recent? No, this, this has been there for ages. It's on the second floor. I forgot where, Uh but he lists off all these ingredients of a Mm -hmm. lemon, a commercial lemon meringue pie. And at the end, he goes, we have a lemon meringue pie, but no lemons, no meringue in it, just all chemicals. Yeah. (laughs) To show you what you're putting in your system. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'll have. I'm going to definitely check that out. I'm going to put that on my list too, because I remember... I also remember when they would talk about like, you see this little baby chick and now it's full grown in less than eight hours. I told you to come back before lunch and I told you it was going to become big. I understand as someone who studies uh, food for medicine here, but as someone who also is passionate and animal activist, and I know that there is a lot of stuff happening to our food. I understand that hormonally it's affecting us in many ways. That's why it's important to ask ourselves, how, what are we eating? Look at them. If you want to try it out, try it. But mm-hmm. like, ask yourself, do you know what these ingredients are? Are you yeah. actually getting what it's saying? If you don't, then do your own research, look, and then decide, is it worth it? Um, from a cost perspective, there's a reason why sometimes one of the, the unhealthiest food was sometimes the cheapest food. And that's sometimes then you have to ask yourself, what do I value more right now? And if I'm going to have to pay a dollar more for an actual real product, then fine. Maybe that for me is more valued uh, and that's worth it. If we're at a cost factor, right? Like if we can't afford good uh, organic foods, shop local and just try to eat the foods, don't go super organic, then just eat real foods, right? Go to the grocery store, find that. If cooking is hard, then maybe then we take an extra step, right? Yeah, I mean, that kind of reminds me of the la- one last question is, is there really a mm-hmm. difference between regular food and organic? When, oh, you shop at, when you shop at like Jewel or Mariano's, you see, oh, organic bananas, 
regular bananas, organic apples, regular apples, organic chicken, regular chicken. Is there really a difference in the price in what you're buying besides how they're raised? Besides how they're so like nutritionally. Good question. I love that. You you end it, you're gonna end this segment really well. Uh, because <laughs> In question, as an RD, we know that the research still says as today that we at the end just want you to eat the tomato. At the end of the day, you know, we want you to, if you can't afford that organic tomato, we rather you just eat that tomato. And we've learned that, that eating that tomato alone might just be as good for you as that organic. That's what the research and as a dietitian, I'll say that. In the integrative world, we try to uh, see many naturopathic doctors and many people say like, you need to buy organic. Uh, and a lot of the population I serve is also a lot of times low income or they have like, you know, a lot of kids or maybe they are middle high class, but being autistic is not like something that's also cheap. We, we do have oh. our things, right? Like. And when you have a medical condition in general, you tend to have costs associated. It's like having a pet. It's not just the love that you have with the pet. You got to buy food for that pet. You got things to do, right? Mm -hmm. so, so cost usually is still a factor no matter what, even if you are from a high class and stuff. We were thinking about money. So organic food by default, you're forcing someone to say you're going to have to spend more on your groceries. And you can easily, I've gone to Whole Foods before when it when it wasn't owned by Amazon. And with, just to get a sense, I did a project where I bought some more foods and I with just the same amount of cost I use, I was able to buy like a month's worth of food at other grocery stores, but at Whole Foods, I was only able to buy for like less than half a week. Now with Amazon owning it, there has been more deals, fine. You can buy a longer, but it's still expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so that is the short story now. There Now in the integrated world, we do talk about like, okay, but we do, we're starting to see that there is some benefits to organic. There's still not enough research out there to officially prove that but if you're concerned if you notice that we uh, i will reference people the ewg.org site um for any of the listeners who are not familiar with this site it's an environmental kind of website that you could also look at beauty products on here they they do talk a little bit more they have their about section where you can say like who we are so you can understand a little bit about their their mission their mission is they say it's very simple it's to empower you to with breakthrough research or some, something along the lines how they say but to inform you on how to choose things that are uh, uh, that will allow you to live healthy a healthy life in a healthy environment mm -hmm. um, and it and you can see all their donations and where it comes from. So they are a little bit open, but they created a thing that if you go on their website, the ewg.org again, e like elephant, uh, w like whale, g like gorilla. Uh, I was going to do the military standard, but I remember the military also, but there. Um, they you can sign up for the clean you can sign up so they can email you the clean 15 dirty dozen. Are you familiar with that? No. No, so those are the foods that they say, like, if, in a short version here, they say, if you're going to buy anything organic, maybe buy from this list, at least these food items we have noticed. For those, it might be worth it because they have the most pesticides and the most things that many people I've seen in the spectral world and in ADHD with the children, when they started to follow this and buy 
organic for this food list. Some parents have told me, and again, this is more explanatory anecdotal research, right? Because it's a family telling me, this is not research telling me, but families individually have said, wow, I've seen an improvement in my child. And I don't know if it's the food or not, but I'm going to keep doing it. And I say, perfect. But does that mean the research is saying we have to do this? No, but you can go on their website, go all the way in the bottom. It'll say, Dirty Dozen, Clean 15 list are here. It's free and it gives you a list. And strawberries, for example, and tomatoes is on there. And it says those are two items that you should probably buy organic. Um, Me personally, I sometimes do buy organic. But I've started to notice like at Jewel, if you download their Jewel app, you can sometimes get some of those organic foods for free once you get your rewards up. So some grocery stores now have all these rewards and apps and stuff that you can sometimes get a lower price. Whole Foods, now that's owned by Amazon, sometimes has really good affordable deals. But I've noticed that the organic version was actually cheaper than the actual original product. Uh, bananas, I usually just buy them regular. I don't usually buy them organic. Uh, and sometimes if I know there's a taste difference, then I I will most likely do it. So strawberries, I've noticed if I buy them organic, they usually tend to last me longer and they do taste better for me uh, and I get less issues with them. But everyone's a little bit different. And I've noticed some people say in the uh, the sector world recently, for example, they buy the most, they buy their chicken, everything as, as, as they say, as more humane as possible because they notice it's helped them with their skin and their overall moods. So even if the research isn't there, ask yourself what foods for you you would consider buying organic and, and then go from there. But I would encourage you to do, do look at the Dirty Dozen Clean 15. Um, it, is, it is an open document. I've seen many doctors recommend that to their patients. I've seen many people, including uh, I consult with Wellness Health. That's a nonprofit organization for people with cancer here in Chicago. I encourage anyone to look at the, check them out. And they provide that list and they talk about that list to cancer patients and telling them to buy local foods and regular foods. But if you're going to buy organic, buy from this from list, this list of foods. So I always say like, wow, so if we're recommending this to someone's cancer, well, then let's try it just in general before we get cancer, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the short answer. Um, I will recommend anyone again in general when it comes to eating. And since if you're a listener in Chicago, I would uh, highly encourage you to also check out what organizations, what groups, what activities are going on in Chicago with autism. Urban Autism Solutions is one nonprofit organization that I volunteered uh, some time with and worked with a lot of people in the spectrum who are children and adolescents, and they do a lot of programs uh, that are free, and they have a lot of telehealth like kind of groups and stuff that are also there. Uh, I had a group with with a group of people, girls that were on the spectrum from high school all the way to like their late 20s. And we all just kind of talked about what it means to be on the spectrum, but be a woman, right? But then mm-hmm. they also have gardening events. So I definitely encourage anyone to check them out. I don't know if you know about them, uh, if you mm-hmm. want to share anything, but that that's they do talk a little bit about gardening, organic produce and eating. And so that's a good way to kind of end. The EWG site? Uh, the EWG site talks about just like healthy choices and understanding so you know what's in your products. Mm-hmm. Talking about that listing that you told me. Urban Autism Solutions. Oh, Urban a lot Autism. With people, mm-hmm, okay. With, with, works with uh, people in the spectrum, but it's here in Chicago. Some of their online telehealth programs that they had, they opened it up the worldwide with the, or not worldwide, nationwide. So anyone in the U.S., we even had a participant who was on the spectrum who's all the way from Florida, who was doing a cooking demo with us. So definitely, definitely there is a place to check out. 
No, I'll put that up in the link. Well, anyways, Andreas, thank you so much for being on the show. I've learned so much from you about everything. So thank you very, very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. And it seems like you're doing a lot of work. Before, for all the listeners, we were talking and I was able to learn just a little bit more about you. And it was great. So next time, you know, if I'm, if I'm ever on, we'll definitely have to chat and get to know each other more and more. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. You guys all have a great day. Bye-bye. We live on borrowed time.